Warning. The program you're about to hear is absolutely filthy and thoroughly disgusting. Furthermore, listening to it will immediately turn you into a bottom. Bottom. Listen, when, when it's messy, it's a problem for everyone in the room. Correct. All ten of them. I'm proud to declare the Adam Sank Show and his ass open to the wind. Ass open to the wind. This is fuckery. <laughs> this is all fuckery. <laughs> fuckery, fuckery, fuckery. Powered by DNR Studios. And now... Give a warm round of applause to my friend and yours, Adam Sank. <laughs> yes, I love her. Welcome to the Adam Sank Show. We are back live. If you're listening live at 11 a.m. Eastern, Saturday, November 12th, 2022, dnrstudios.com and the DNR Cast app, those are the only places to hear this podcast live and throughout the week that it first airs. Leave us your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Email me anything you want at adam at adamsank.com. Call and talk to us live, live this hour on the Ass Hotline at 804-TALK-ASS. You can also call that number anytime you want. Anytime you have something to say, leave us a voicemail. Like the Facebook page, get your ass merch at adamsank.com. Get vaccinated and boosted if you haven't already. And here on the ass, we stand with Ukraine, who is kicking ass right now over there. Uh, today, I am so thrilled and excited to welcome actor, singer, and author Richard Pryor Jr., son of the most legendary comedian of all time and a fascinating person in his own right. We'll be talking to him a little later this hour, but first, uh, I must tell you that my my beloved co-host Steve is off again this week and next week. Uh, it's he's not sick; he's all recovered from COVID. Um, he's healthy, but he's dealing with some family stuff, and he just can't be here. Uh, although he would love to be. So, Steve, I love you, I miss you, and uh, we'll see you back here in a couple weeks. In the meantime, it's my pleasure to welcome back. Everyone's favorite, I don't know, I don't have one for you, Tar. Everyone's favorite bald man, Tark Daniels. Hello. Hey. Oh, your mic wasn't on there. Hello. Hello, Happy hello. Tark, the moment I told you Richard Pryor Jr. was going to be our guest, you were like, sign me up. Yes, absolutely. Because Richard Pryor is my favorite comedian of all time. So it's, I'm super excited to talk to his son. Me too. And uh, we should also mention that Tark is a school teacher, so he's already warned me that he's not going to be as filthy as he has been in the like, past yeah, on the show. teacher I was very raunchy, and now I am Pollyanna purebred and an educator. So, no, I, um, I'm still going to – I mean, this is an adult show. I'm still going to have fun. But Do I might not be as – Will we have time to show ask teacher questions? Um, I don't think so. Okay, not not this hour anyway. We're <laughs> pretty you. packed. But that's the voice of JB, the Queen of Fuckery, our producer. Welcome, JB. Hi. I brought JB a special treat today. Do you oh want to God. tell the listeners? Yes. Okay. So you guys, this to me, because you know I haven't had sex in a couple of years. So this to me is the closest thing I got to sex. And Adam, who have brought it to me, I know this is a terrible, terrible setup to what he got me. But anyway, he gave me a cherry pie. And That's not nice a euphemism. Yeah. An actual cherry pie. An actual pie. cherry pie. You guys, I love pies. Pies <laughs> are my favorite. Cherry pie is one of my top tier pies. And he got me a cherry pie. So now I have to go home and buy some whipped cream. Uh, me and this me and this cherry pie, we fuck it. Oh, nice. We fuck it. I almost cried. Because <laughs> I'm not going to see you. I'm not going to see you, JB, until after Thanksgiving. So this Correct. is my little Thanksgiving treat I for you. you. Uh, I can't explain how happy he was when I gave this to him. It's like the happiest I've ever seen him. So I'm glad that I did it. 
Uh, I hope you enjoyed. I hope For it's delicious. The closest reference to how happy it was is when we did the story about the video games and when Daddy Cream talked dirty to me. The gay gamer story got you excited and Daddy Cream talking dirty in your ear mm-hmm. got you very excited. Mm-hmm. All right. We have a lot to get through before we can even get to the news and we have a lot of news. So let's go right into recommended viewing. Hit it. Gail. I hate this segment. Who gives a fuck what anyone else is watching on TV? This shit sucks. Uh, that was, that's JB. Are you okay? Yes. Okay. We need cough buttons in here. Um, I'm going to start with a docu-series that, uh, is so fantastic, even better than I was hoping it would be. It is, God forbid, the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty on Hulu. This is all about Giancarlo Granda, the pool boy who had an affair with the wife of Jerry Falwell Jr. while Jerry Falwell Jr. watched and videotaped. And, uh, and who was paid millions of dollars by Jerry Falwell Jr. We've talked about this story almost as much as we've talked about Natalia, the evil dwarf. Um, this is one of my podcast's favorite stories. And I've been waiting for this documentary. And I don't want to spoil it. Here's what I'll say. He's not what I expected. He's um, very articulate and very charming and smart. Um, as well as being hot. And the documentary is not what I expected. When you first start watching it, it's going to seem very funny and light and kind of frivolous to you. And by the end, you are going to be blown away because it's about so much more than just this scandal. It is about what has happened to America. It's about what's happened to American politics because of right-wing evangelicals like Jerry Falwell and his son the way it's affected our politics, the way it's affected everything about everything that's shitty in America. I'm sold. I'm going to watch it tonight. Can be traced Is back to Jerry Falwell. That, where, where do you it's watch on um, Hulu. Okay, tonight. So, yes, watch that. Tarek, uh, anything you've watched recently that you'd recommend? Ooh, um, I don't know about recommending. I know I, I watched The Watcher, and I know a lot of people hated it. I didn't love it. Yeah, a lot of people hated it. I found it entertaining, but the the criticism is all over the place. And then... Nothing's resolved, and then a lot of things weren't true. Um, but, oh, God, what else? Ooh, ooh, oh, The White Lotus, season two. Yes, All I just it. started it. All about it. Although, do you think it's as good as season one? Yes. Okay, see, I'm not gripped yet. I'm gripped, and I love Italy. It's beautiful. Are you gripping yourself? I'm gripped. Um, Theo James is really hot. He's hot. Um, and the other one, Ethan, I noticed, did you see the second episode? Yes. Did you notice that Ethan's shower was 28 seconds long? I wrote on a Facebook group about it. I said, Ethan's shower, he did not wash himself properly. I don't trust him. Right. And then I rewatched the episode, and I timed his shower, and he just washes his hair, and he went on a jog. I think he was already showered, and he mm-hmm. was just washing off the lube from his peen. That's what I He didn't even to touch be. his peen. He, he yes, washed he his was, hair. He was jerking. Oh, you're right. You're right. No. Well, uh, yeah. We're giving away lots of spoilers, by the way. But so yes, fun. White Lotus 2. <laughs> I, I finally finished White Lotus Season 1, which I absolutely loved. loved. So I recommend that and uh, season two. Okay, JB. Oh, okay. So this this is going to be, I, I feel like it's right up my alley, but it's something different. You guys go to the movies. Uh, go see Black Panther this weekend. It is a wonderful, wonderful movie. I saw it Wednesday. With Katie. Wednesday? Yes. I won, I won some tickets. So. Oh, you went with Katie? Yeah, I won Cute. some tickets to the Black Panther New York premiere. Fantastic. Yeah. Nice. It is a great movie. It is a great tribute to Chadwick Boseman, uh, the first 
Black Panther, not the first Black Panther in Jerry, the first right. movie Black Panther who you know, <laughs> tragically died young. Yes, yes, it was a great homage to him. And then I, I'm not giving away the movie; it's just great. You guys should watch it. I'm ashamed to say I never watched the first one. I just don't like that genre. Katie never watched the first one. You didn't either? watch the first one. And I don't she, watch superhero movies. And she okay, enjoyed this fair. one, even without. I need to watch both. Yeah, I do. But if you don't, if you don't like, I feel like there's way too many superhero movies. I did love the first Black Panther. And I'm going to see the, sec- the the second one tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, I mean, I should see it because it's like an iconic cultural touchstone. Yeah, it's good, but there's just so many superhero movies, and they're too, too long. I, don't, I hate them. They're all the same to me. Um, okay, let's do. We have a new review. This is from JMDCNYC, and it's about a specific episode. It, the headline is uh, it's five stars, and the headline is dialogue without vitriol. It's so refreshing. I just listened to episode two fifty six, Adam's interview with Damon Jacobs on prep, sex, and everything in between. It struck me how thoughtful and well balanced the conversation was. I'm so used to listening to podcasts and consuming media in general and just hearing screeching if there's a difference of opinion. This was different in the best way. Even though they had a difference of opinion in a couple of areas, an intelligent conversation actually took place. For me, that's a great reminder that it's still possible. Which is such a nice review. That's so lovely. So thank you, JMDC NYC, and please, all of you, keep those reviews coming. Um, just so uh, you guys know, I am working on a laptop today instead of with paper because the printer's broken here at DNR Studios. So uh, I have to go down to my email and find this lovely email that we got from Rick in El Paso. Let me see if I can find it. While he's doing that, I will go on a rant on why I want to fight Romaine because she knows we use, she knows we come in Saturdays. She knows we're coming in this Saturday. And I was here again, Wednesday, Wednesday, the printer was fine. The printer was fine. Everything was fine. All right. Let's not bite the hand that feeds us, though. I know. She does Without Romaine this po- and Derek, this <laughs> podcast wouldn't exist. Okay. So this is from Rick in El Paso. This was an email. He said, hi, Adam. Just a note to tell you again how great your show is. You never disappoint with your choice of guests. I was so excited to learn about Eric Marcus's podcast. What a great historical archive. I've been trying to suss out as much gay history as I can find, and I can't believe I missed his work. Please continue to bring on guests that highlight our history. It wasn't until these last 10 years that I began to be interested in gay history and started watching the few documentaries out there on the subject. Now, having all these interviews to listen to has made me quite excited. A few years back, Johnny McGovern did a podcast called Schooling the Children, but it was short-lived. Maybe you could make a list of the documentaries and books that you believe best tell our stories and tell us on the show. It's not always easy to find or to know where to look for what is out there. Thanks again for the humor and insightful guests. So thank you so much, Rick, for that lovely email. And I uh, made a list. This is not comprehensive. It's not exhaustive. And we're not going to go through each one and talk about it. This is just a list of uh books and documentaries that I would recommend if you're interested in LGBTQ history. The first is uh, Charles Kaiser's The The Gay Metropolis, The Landmark History of Gay Life in America, 1997. Um, This is a decade-by-decade account of the rise and acceptance of gay life basically starting in the 1940s. Um, And it goes all the way through AIDS because it was written in 97. That's kind of where it ends. But um, The Gay Metropolis is fabulous. There's also a bunch of novels that I love that have kind of shaped me, uh, and I'll do them chronologically. The first is Gore Vidal's The City and the Pillar from 1948, 
John Ritchie's City of Night from 1963, which I just finished and which I can't recommend enough. Andrew Holleran's Dancer from the Dance and Larry Kramer's Faggots, both of which came out in 1978. And Alan Gerganis's Plays Well with Others from 1997. And then as far as documentaries, uh, I mean, The Celluloid Closet I mentioned with, during the Eric Marcus interview from 96. That's a must-watch mm-hmm. directed by Rob Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman. Um, and then uh, going back a little bit, I would say Paris is Burning, 1990, oh is hugely important for every queer person to watch. And it's surprising how many people have not seen that. Yeah. Uh, Madonna's Truth or Dare from Ooh, 1991 yeah. is Ooh, yeah. way more than just a concert movie. That's the movie... First movie that I saw that made me want to be a gay man. Yeah. It made it cool and sexy. And Madonna was on top of the world at that time. Totally. And then I would say um, Disclosure from 2020, directed by Sam Fader. Disclosure is very much like the trans version of The Celluloid Closet. I learned so much from that documentary. And it was the first time I really saw the way Hollywood has always depicted trans people Mm -hmm. in such a terrible light i mean they're either psycho killers awful or they're repellent horrible creatures to be feared and laughed at i mean i'll never watch ace ventura pet detective ever again i'll never watch soap dish ever again like it's changed the way i think about those movies these mainstream movies that were like supposed to be light comedies but they just and we didn't i I didn't realize it at the time but later you're like oh wow so anyway, I hope that helps. This is, again, not a comprehensive list. I'm sure I've left out some very important things. But those are things that have been important to me. Okay, next. We have a new voicemail from Gail. Mm-hmm. She was reacting to my impression of her when Steve and I did the Derek and Romaine takeover. And I was like, the sound quality is terrible. So she, was, she took issue with that. And here's what she had to say. Hello, Adam Shank. You chlamydia-riddled bastard. I wanted everyone to hear my voice. I do not sound like Harvey Firestein. I'm a woman. I don't sound like that. You're so evil, evil, evil. And I want any of my listeners that love me to call and write and tell Adam what a horrible man he is. That's it. And, JB, I love you just the way you are. Adam, you're still a bastard, but I love you. Bye. <laughs> Shade. She's the greatest. Gail, I love you. I'm sorry to insult you. And I am no longer chlamydia riddled. <laughs> I took antibiotics for that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Tark, anything you would add to my list? Books or documentaries? Or- oh, um, I really love The Joy of Gay Sex, but I don't know who wrote that. And mm-hmm. it was a gift. My mother gave that to me when I came out oh when my I was God. 15. What a lovely mother. It's a really nice book. I wonder, I mean... I don't know if they've done, uh, that was like 96 when I came, 95-ish. So I'm wondering if there's their new one. But they had really beautiful pictures, and it just really broke down all. Like I just learned so much. I and, think and your mother is an amazing woman. I've never she, heard anyone say that their she, mother gave them that when they were a teenager. She gave me that as a coming out gift. It was it was a great, a great uh thing to do my mother told me that i had shattered her dreams <laughs> my mother gave me trauma as a gift my mother it, it all hasn't been uh wonderful coming out gifts there's been times where there's but been struggles still. but yeah but still very what a gift it was a great gift thank you mrs daniels um okay we need to talk about the midterm elections mm-hmm. which are still being decided uh here on saturday november 12th 
Um, they're still counting in a number of states. We still don't know who has control of the House or Senate. Uh, overall, it was an incredibly great night because the shellacking that was expected of the Democrats, the red tsunami, mm-hmm. did not happen. Mm-hmm. And in fact, President Biden has pulled off the most successful midterm elections following two years in office of any Democratic president in 40 years. In other words, fewer members of of the House and Senate were lost during his presidency than any other previous Democrat in 40 years. It's really kind of a miracle. And it it looks like we're definitely going to hold the Senate and we may even hold the House, which would just be phenomenal. But we're not going to go into all that. We're going to instead talk about all the queer people who won. Because according to the LGBTQ Victory Fund, a record 400-plus out LGBTQ people won their elections. This beats 2020's record of 336 for the most in U.S. history. Um, As I said, it's not over yet. Um, Ballots are still being counted. But like at least 400 out queer politicians uh, won. Many of the winners have shattered uh, so-called lavender ceilings. Robert Garcia will become the first out LGBTQ immigrant in Congress. Becca Balint is the first out LGBTQ person elected to Congress from Vermont. Zoe Zephyr will be the first out trans person to serve in the Montana legislature. And New Hampshire's James Rosner is the first trans man ever elected to a state legislature. Um, There was also a record number of queer people running for office. That's part of the reason why they won. Um, But it's it it, it just was an incredible showing. And it shows you that the forces that are trying so hard to beat back LGBTQ rights and LGBTQ people are failing. And also for the first time ever this year, queer candidates ran for office in all 50 states plus the District of Columbia. Wonderful. Now, the biggest... Uh, news to come out of that story is that Maura Healy and Tina Kotek both made history as the first elected out lesbian governors in the United States. That is cause to celebrate. I'm trying to. (laughs) Come on, lesbian governors. Yes, lesbian governors. Romaine, what do you have to say about that? Ass open to the wind. Stick it in. Here I am. Here they are. (laughs) So we knew on election night that Maura Healy had won. I didn't even know that there was a lesbian running in the Oregon race. But Tina Kotek, which has to be the worst name for a woman ever. <laughs> Seriously. Kotek. It sounds like a tampon. I know. I don't hate it. But she's a lovely person. And they both won. And then Jared Polis, who's an openly gay man, won re-election as Colorado's governor. So we have three governors out of 50 who are out gay people. I love it. That is shocking. We're making progress. Also, um, Kotek, <laughs> Kotek is replacing a retiring governor who was openly bisexual, is openly bisexual. Um, so, you know, Oregon's a pretty queer place. So I was curious to see uh, how many other statewide or national uh, elected leaders, elected or appointed leaders, are openly queer. So ready? In addition to those three that I just mentioned, Wisconsin's Tammy Baldwin is the only openly lesbian senator. Arizona's Kristen Sinema, who I hate uh, because she goes with the Republicans far too often, but she is an openly bisexual senator. Mm -hmm. 
Of course, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, is the first openly gay person confirmed to serve in a president's cabinet, and he is often talked about as a possible uh, presidential candidate. Yes. Very impressive. So, yeah, I mean, Tark, you're younger than me. JB, you're way younger than me. I can't explain to you how unthinkable this was when I was 25. Yeah, I mean, I'm not that much younger than you, but it is, it, yeah, it's, I never would have thought it. Like, I don't, I don't think I even thought that it was possible. I mean, I am that much younger than you. Um, <laughs> I, okay, so here comes Shade. the duality. I guess, Tyra, I would love to hear your opinion on this. Uh, my duality of living as a, as a black man and as a gay person. I, I, I see things happening, but it doesn't reflect me. It's a very conflicting feeling. Well, we do have openly gay black members of Congress. Yes, yes. Not senators, not governors, but but members of the House. Right. I guess I guess I'm just waiting for something to be done, like to address systemic racism. Yeah. yeah like yeah. it's. Says I, I can't. I feel like I can't be happy for any little wins because the problems are still there, and they haven't changed, at least for my situation. So, I, I'm glad progress is happening. I'm just you don't feel it. Yeah, yeah. like I know what you mean. Like I, I'm happy for the little progress, right. but I'm black first, so I I think of us first. So and then also, of course, I'm a proud gay. Um, gay man as well but i think of us first and yeah i'm just not going i in the last few ever since trump won i've been really bitter (laughs) and it's it's just when when that happened it just took me out like i wasn't i stopped being as political as i had been because i was very political since 18 and i still you know vote and i'm still a part of it but i'm not i'm just it just really sickened me and it it just i just felt like so defeated for a while but you know, I feel like it's com- we're coming back. But there are small victories. I'm I'm happy for. I'm happy about all the the gay people that um, or people of the LGBTQ community that are um, taking in political office. But you know, we have a long, 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 long way to go. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many layers to it. I know exactly what you're saying, JB. And it's like great that all these LGBTQ people are winning and that Democrats won, but you, but change is not happening fast enough. Um, on the other hand, looking at, not as a white person, but just as an American at the entire system, I really thought this was going to be the last Democratic election. I thought we were going to be facing fascism and tyranny after these midterms because there was going to be such a, a surge of not only Republican majorities in the House and Senate, but also – all these insane election deniers who literally want to stop people from voting, want to want to, you know, talk about racists. I mean, they, they they like believe in slavery. Like they don't even support the teaching of slavery to our children because they want it to happen again. This is what we were up against, and it didn't happen. So I think this was an enormous victory for people of color, for queer people, for anyone who believes in like just a basic sense of fairness and democracy. I also think that. When you're in a moment, it's hard to see whether it's better or worse than it was five years ago. I think Black Lives Matter had an enormous impact on the country. I think there are far fewer people of color being shot and killed by police. Uh, I mean, I think the statistics would bear that out. And even at my job, 
like we are constantly focusing on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion now. We didn't talk about those issues mm -hmm. before Black Lives Matter, and now it's a part of our hiring. It's a part of our our board selection, the managers that we that we hire, the outside consultants. Like it goes into everything, and I don't think that my company is unique that way. I think that's happening on a on a national and global scale. So, like I get what you're saying. Like, how is your life different? It's not. I believe you, but I do think that that was a seismic shift that happened, and the changes are happening, you may just not see them all. Oh, okay. I don't know if that makes you feel no, any no, no. better. I, I get it, but I, because one, I have one point that I really feel strong to is like, okay, we don't live in Georgia, but in around black Twitter, there was this video going around that in Georgia, this commercial that is literally being aired for politicians and people to vote for is speaking about white people dying. Oh as, yeah. As in like black people are coming for them and we are taking everything from them. They don't have any rights. And no, we're looking to murder them. And it's like the racism is hideous. And right. and Republicans aren't even keeping it quiet anymore. They're really they, open with it now. It used to be buzzwords and dog whistles. Now they're just like, fuck black people. Like yeah. they'd have no and and that's why, again, I'm so glad that so many of those people lost on Tuesday and continue to lose as the as the count comes in. So I'm more hopeful than you, and I get yeah. that a big part of that is because I'm white and I don't have to live in the shit that you guys have to live in. You're a jolly, jolly type of people. But <laughs> I, I, I wasn't hopeful the day before the election. I was in a, I was, I've been in a constant state of anxiety for the past six months over this election. And you've been doing a lot. Like I loved how you were mail, you mailed, you wrote letters. <sighs> I wrote letters to to likely Democrats who were who were, who were unlikely to vote in Georgia which were a lot of whom lived in black communities. Like these are people who, if they vote, they'll vote Democrat, but they don't usually vote. And so we, mm -hmm. I, I joined Vote Forward and I wrote letters to say like, hey, it's important that you vote. And they weren't partisan. It, they said like, you can vote whoever, however you want, just vote. So, I mean, but I really thought we were fucked. I thought this was it. And there's one thing I haven't... And we still might be. We, well, it, we'll it was see. a very close race. Like a yeah. lot of, I mean, we're still a very divided country. Um, 100%. I, I'm wondering, was it easier for people to vote this year? Because I don't, I haven't heard any stories about um, long lines. Were there long lines? It's interesting. There... A lot of states tried to make it harder for people to vote, particularly people of color. But um, but because they almost universally had either early. <laughs> What's that? Okay. The, most states had either early voting or mail-in balloting. And so, and and a lot of them had these drop boxes, which is part of the reason why it's taking so long in Arizona. But there was massive turnout, okay. and the only real problems were in Arizona. There were there were a couple of precincts that had problems with their machines, and of course, the Republicans started screaming fraud and theft and all this other shit. But there were genuine problems. But it was a very orderly, calm election overall. It seemed that way from what I noticed. Um, anyway, we have to move on because we have a lot more stories and we only have like eight minutes before our guest. Uh, we got to talk about Aaron Carter. <gasps> you know what? That really made me sad. Me too. It really bummed me out. And it's not like, you know, I was playing his music, but I always felt um, compassion for him. And I... And I felt sad for him. And he seemed like a nice kid. Like nice, I call him kid because I put him, he's younger than me, but, or was, but 34 years old and never into, it just, it's very tragic. We've talked about him a lot on this show. 
uh, over the years. I mean, probably almost as much as the pool boy. Because he made news years ago by coming out as bisexual. I remember that. I liked that. But he did Me that. too. But then he sort of walked it back. Yeah. Uh, it may have been a, a ploy to get some new gay fans. And Maybe. I feel like there was some, some fluidity there, which it I'm sounded, always into. It sounded like he had an affair w- with a teenager when he was a teenager. And then that was sort of it. A, a lot of guys do that that don't I, I support share. that. Yeah. I do too. I supported I've, it when I was a teenager. I literally supported believe it. Believe you me. <laughs> back then. <laughs> but, you know... He was deeply troubled. Mm-hmm. He died um, at the age of 34. Um, they don't even know exactly when he died, but he was found dead on November 5th. A 911 call was made at 11 a.m. Um, they still have not released a cause of death, but he'd been struggling with drugs and mental health issues for many years. Uh, an insider tells Us Weekly those who have known him for years never saw Aaron like this before. He was exhibiting bizarre behavior and slurring his words. Um, everyone wanted him to go to rehab, according to the source, um, but he refused. His ex fiance Melanie Martin, who was sort of on and off, she tried to get him off drugs and, uh, and going to rehab. This is all according to the source, who's probably her. Um, Martin reached out to an outpatient facility on Carter's behalf, but that was not successful in getting him to go. Um, he, Aaron had previously gushed about his experience as a first-time father and said, the person that I am today, I want to be a better version of that person I was the day prior to that. You know, I think he really tried. Yeah, he did. And I saw an interview of him um, the other day where he was reading the tweets, uh, people were saying that he that he looked like he had AIDS and he was crying. Um, and it just was so sad. And he, you could see the hurt in his eyes yeah. of, of being attacked like that. Um, his, his brother, Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys released a statement last Sunday and said, even though my brother and I had a complicated relationship, my love for him has never faded. I've always held on to the hope that he would somehow, someday, want to walk a healthy path and eventually find the help that he so desperately needed. Sometimes we need to blame someone or something for a loss, but the truth is that addiction and mental illness is the real villain here. I will miss my brother more than anyone will ever know. I love you, Chiz. Now you can finally have the peace you could never find on earth. I love you, baby brother. Mm. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And, you know, I was reading about his life. You know, he was like opening... At stadiums, he was opening for Britney Spears on the Backstreet Boys when he was nine. Like, what nine-year-old can handle that? That's a lot. He was really – it was almost like he was doomed to, to have that kind of stardom and fame when you're that young and you have no idea what to do with that. And, and without, I'm guessing, good parental supervision. Exactly. I was going to say that. The child, the child stars who have grown, grown up, most of them had parents who were there and – providing as a healthy upbringing as possible under those circumstances. Yep. Um, I want to talk about this story because it, it's a very it, – it's going to sound like it's very New York City-centric, but it actually has larger implications. And a lot of gay people have been forwarding this to me all week. Have you guys seen the story about the alleged gang in Hell's Kitchen that's targeting gay men and drugging them, stealing all their money and leaving them for dead? I just heard about this from you. <laughs> So, I knew about the original Hell's Kitchen gang, but no. This has apparently been going on for a number of months. Two gay men have been found dead, 
And others uh, say it happened to them. They, they didn't die, but they were drugged and robbed by this gang of, of men who like posed as other gay men or may actually be gay men and said like, hey, come party with us. And then they drug them and, and rob them and drain their bank account and leave oh them for God. dead. It's a terrible story and it's scary. But the reason why everyone is, no, is talking about it now is because the mother of one of the victims came out against Alvin Bragg who is Manhattan's district attorney and blamed him for the, for her son's death and saying that like Alvin Bragg hasn't charged anyone. He's not warning people about this. And she made a commercial about this for Lee Zeldin, the right wing Republican who ran against our governor, Kathy Hochul, who was just reelected. And so everyone's like, Alvin Bragg, Alvin Bragg. And, and you have to know Alvin Bragg is black, and that's part of the story. And part of the narrative that Republicans have been using against him is that he's soft on crime, which is another racist dog whistle. Like, in other words, it's a black guy, and he's letting all of his fellow black people get out of jail free. The fact is, Alvin Bragg has nothing to do with a police investigation. No one has been arrested. They don't have any suspects. They don't know who did this. Alvin Bragg is a district attorney. His job is to try people and bring a case against them after the police have finished the investigation. He can't arrest anyone. How can, how can he arrest – it's the it's the New York Police Department, if you want to be mad at anyone, be mad at the NYPD if yep. they've been dragging their feet or they haven't done yep. enough to solve this. But it's crazy and it's so fucked up that she used this – she used her son's death to help Lee Zeldin, who hates gay people, try to win the governor's yeah, race. Yeah, terrible. I'm glad he lost. And what's really pissed me off even more is that the advocate ran with the story and they basically just published – a press release from the Zeldin campaign. They basically blamed Alvin Bragg too. And it's like, can you do any reporting? Does anyone at the advocate understand how the criminal justice system works? Yeah, a DA can't just solve crimes. That's not his job. They should, a DA just says yes or no to taking a case to court. So that's right. And, and helps build a case yeah. once the police are done with their investigation and have arrested some the, people. So the investigation must happen first. Um, how are we doing with our guests? Uh, so the, that noise you heard earlier was me testing because they did join early. I don't oh, know yay. If can actually speak to us. Okay. But we're going to we're gonna go right to the interview then and we'll do the ventriloquist story next week because I do definitely want to do that. Um, but I need to get right to our guest. I got to change my screen here. Because as you know, I am working without paper today. <laughs> oh, shit. It's gone now. Um, Tark, comment on uh, the story we were just talking about. Wait, what was the story? I, just, I already <laughs> Alvin forgot. Bragg. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, the, if the uh, if the, the PD is, is dragging, like, they have, these people have been draining the, their bank accounts. There should be evidence. They should be able to be getting something soon. Also, how many victims? Is it just the two victims? So it's two people killed. Right. But there's an unspecified number of other victims who had the same experience but didn't die. Okay, so they woke up somewhere and, so and they remember all their like, shit was gone. And if, if their money was taken and if they took their bank accounts, there should be some kind of um, trail. I would think so, too. Um, anyway, here we go. Our guest today is an actor, singer, and author whose book – in a prior life, details what it was like growing up the son of the most legendary comedian of all time, Richard Pryor. I hope that he can hear us and that he can talk to us. We'll find out in a second. Please give a warm-ass welcome to Richard Pryor Jr. Richard, say something. 
Hey, say something. Oh, you, you sound great. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sorry about our uh, our little technical glitch that clean feed doesn't always work, but um, you sound great. Yeah. I want to start by asking you how your health is, because I know you've been dealing with some serious shit, uh, including multiple bouts of COVID over the past few years. So how are you feeling these days? I'm getting there. COVID really, you know, as we know, especially being in New York, living in New York at the time and everything, it was just very... Uh, difficult with the isolation, plus having the COVID a few times, and then I ended up taking a temporary job and got injured on that. So it kind of like just threw me into a, a frenzy and a loop and depression and everything that comes with it and all that stuff. So I'm on the road getting back. I'm, you know, auditioning and performing again. So that's good. I'm feeling a lot better. So yeah. I'm so glad because I know. I tried to get you on a couple times before, and both times you were like, I, I I, can't, I'm too sick. And I was like, oh, God, I'm really worried about this guy. Yeah. I still have, a res I still have residual effects from COVID, like the breathing. And uh, even though that when I had the COVID at times, I never had breathing issues. But after, like even if I take a, like a steamy shower or something of that nature, the humidity and all that, it affects my breathing. So it's almost like a yeah. like a long COVID situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope you continue to recover. Um, I have a lot of questions about you and your life. I also have a lot of questions about your father. Um, but first, oh, sure. first, I'm going to ask you: Do you hate that you're always being asked questions about your father? No, I, I think what it is, it's been my whole life. So it's something I, that's been a part of my life. So it's. Only time I don't like it is when people are negative or want to be uh, passive aggressive in their things that they're asking and um, just being rude and nasty. I never mind talking about my father because I understand who my father was to the world. Um, but I think people tend to forget that he was our father. Right. And I know even, even when he passed away and everything, we were dealing with, fans trying to console people and people weren't even uh, looking at it, reflecting and seeing the fact that we were actually uh, going through because we lost our dad. Right. It's a, I have to imagine it's a very strange situation and, and not that you have anything to compare it to, but growing up, not only the son of such a legendary figure, but also carrying around his name and his face because you look so much like him. Mm -hmm. um, has it been a struggle for you to kind of assert your own identity and be like, I, yes, I'm Richard Pryor's son, but I'm also my own person. Yeah, that's been, it's been a road, I will call it a road to recovery on that because I know years ago it was very difficult to, that's all you heard. And I still have that block up when it comes to like meeting certain people because you don't know if people are your friends because of the name or because of you. Right. Um, uh, a lot of times I like to meet people within not knowing who I am. And then we uh, form a, a bond and everything, and you see it as genuine. But it's still something that you have to. It's a curse and a blessing all at the same time. Because I've even had auditions where they're asking, why are you auditioning? What do you mean, why am I auditioning? I want a job. Because <laughs> it was like, you know, I didn't, people have a misconception that we had everything handed to us and we were you know, given everything, we, you know, we're out here forging on our own, doing our own thing, trying to make it and trying to 
let people know that we're talented as well, not just because of the name, but we actually have the talent. Right, and I think people assume that Richard Pryor's children are just rolling in millions of dollars, and that's not the case. Not at all. There was actually someone sent me, there was actually something online, if you put in, you know, children, his children's, you know, net worth, and it's like that we're sharing in his $40 million empire, we received nothing. We're, we have nothing. His wife took everything. You're talking about Jennifer. Yeah, we don't Jennifer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't even know where his, um, you know, ashes are at or anything. He was supposedly cremated, but we don't even know that for sure. <sighs> That's so tragic. Are, are, is there any kind of legal action happening uh, either with, with you or any of the other siblings? Not at this time. I mean, my one sister, Elizabeth, she actually did when he died, you know, actually filed a suit and she lost that suit. So... There's nothing that's been happening, you know. She, uh, Jennifer, actually closed the trust mm. and started another trust, um, so where they were not included in it. Man, if I were you, I'd get a good lawyer. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to talk about your life. You've had a pretty unusual life, aside from who your father was. Um, uh, t- stop me if I get any of this wrong, but from what I've read, you you served in the Navy. You've worked mm-hmm. as a drag queen. You've been a mm-hmm. min- you've been a minister. Mm-hmm. You're a gay man who's been engaged to two women, one of whom you married and had kids with. Right. You're a grandfather. Yes. And you've struggled with addiction. Yes, I did. That's a lot of things for one person. Yeah, it's a lot of shit, isn't it? It's a lot. I mean, it's, it's a lot of it's good and and fascinating, and some of it sounds like it was a struggle. Is there any part of that you want to kind of expand on with us? Well, I think that a lot of it is. I think you know, when you're younger and you're growing up in the Midwest, and you know, um, you know, you raise, you know, you go to church, and this is what you do, and even though you know that you think you're the only person that has feelings like towards someone of someone of the same sex, and you you're fighting that as hard as you can and you're uh, trying to be who you are, but you also want to don't want to disappoint people. You want to live right and you want to, don't want to disappoint God. And so you live this facade of this fake person and not being genuine to who you are. And I did that for years. I, I did a thing where I was back and forth. It was like, you know, I was, you know, Christian going to church and then I got out again got back in, became a minister and, all these things, and you did the right thing, you got married, you had a child, and all those things, but you still, but you're miserable. There's that part of you that's like, I don't enjoy this, I'm not enjoying this, it's, you know, and, and it doesn't help when you have a wife who was just a horrible lady at the time, just extremely horrible lady. <laughs> so I didn't have the best, I didn't have the best person in my corner to even go through that, navigate through that, uh, because it was Richard, it sounds like we're losing you. It sounds like we're losing your audio a little bit. Did you move positions? Okay, yeah, I did actually. Can you hear me now? Yes, much better. You, uh, okay. You had the opportunity to come out to your father before he passed. Yeah. How did he respond? Yeah, this, this was actually when I was in the military. It was in the early 80s, and I remember telling him I didn't want to get married. And he actually came to Virginia Beach where I was stationed. And I was able to tell him. And 
I didn't get the reaction I thought I was going to get. I thought I was going to get the yelling and all that. And he said, everything's going to be fine. You know, and um, just be who you are. Whatever you're going to do, be the best of it. You know, and that's when I took the do. I was doing the drag at the time, starting that out at the time. And that's when I took that as a thing of, hey, do me, you know. And it wasn't a thing where, you know, it was going to get out or anything like that. You know, who thinks that, you know, your information about how you live your life is Right, because you were outed. Let me me, uh, know if I have the story right. You were performing drag and someone you thought was your friend came to the show, took pictures, and then sold them to the tabloids and outed you as a drag queen and a gay man. Mm -hmm. The tabloid actually showed up at one of the shows. So fucked up. And, yeah. Yeah, and then by the time, and me running, I remember me running from him. I had a boyfriend at the time. I remember us, you know, like running to the car and all that stuff, and them coming to my house and told me, well, you think I'm going to, you might as well talk to us because we're going we're gonna to report it anyway, you know, and I refused to discuss anything with him. And then the next week I was blasted all over America, and it was, you know, the lead story on Maury Povich's current affair and calling me the Princess of Peoria. And I, um, I can laugh about it now, but I went through a lot, and my family went through a lot. My mother received hate mail, and, you know, I thought you had two daughters. I didn't know you had three, and come to find out it was a relative of ours that did it, and mm. it was just horrible. My sisters and them, you know, in school, having to deal with school, high school, and the people talking to them, and, yeah, it was a horrible, horrible time in my life. I'm so sorry you went through that. I mean, that's just, it's unimaginable. Uh there's been a lot of speculation about your dad's sexuality. Um, you, mm-hmm. Your stepmother, Jennifer Lee, who you obviously uh, have no love lost toward, she's claimed that he had an affair with Marlon Brando. And I think, yeah. I was just going to say, and Richard mm-hmm. himself once said on stage, we've, we've played this clip on the show, that he ha- had blown a guy. Mm-hmm. Do you think he was yeah. bi? That. I- I I don't know if he was bi or experimented, but I know he did, uh, has done that before. He's never shielded anything really from us. I remember he had a relationship with a uh, uh, transgender performer called Sir Lady Java back in the day. And I remember her being at the hospital when he had his burn incident and all that. So it wasn't anything that was like hidden from us. I think the thing with uh, uh, Miss Lee is that she wants to stay relevant and so if anybody speaks of something, because I remember the situation was Quincy Jones had made some comment, and then uh, she piggybacked off of it. And then I remember Marlon Brando's like even son even saying, no, I can't believe that actually happened. Because my dad wouldn't have kept that. He would have said something. Eventually, high or not high, you know, it would have uh, kept out because he didn't keep really anything from us. You know, we knew he did drugs. We knew all those things, you know. He, the, his, the way his family was raised and the way he was raised and the things that we saw, there was nothing hidden from anybody. So you think there may have been a sexual fluidity there, but you don't believe the Marlon Brando story? I don't believe the Marlon Brando story, but I do believe there was, yeah, it was, it was definitely there, you know. But that particular story, I, I just don't, I just can't see it. And, and unless he told me himself, I, you know, probably wouldn't believe unless there was actually physical proof. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we, we discovered that clip and played it on the show. It was from, like, 1971. 
and he's in a uh-huh. he's doing a, a a little like coffee shop show in Greenwich Village, and he's like, "I sucked a dick once," and the audience is just stunned. And to yeah. me, to me, it's just part of what made your father so brilliant was his his fearlessness on stage that he would talk about anything, as long as it was yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I know I deal with that a lot when I'm, I'm on stage and I do some, you know, talking or stuff like that. People are like surprised at things that have come out of my mouth. You know, it's like I have nothing to hide. You know, and you know that boldness that he had. You know, he definitely passed that on to us. So. Yeah, he spoke his truth. In your book, you write about being sexually molested as a teenager by one of your father's friends, and you don't name your mm-hmm. you don't name the abuser. But shortly after mm-hmm. that, after the book came out, your dad's former bodyguard Rashawn Khan came forward and named the abuser, and said it was comedian right. Paul Mooney. Mm-hmm. You've never confirmed that, as far as I know. Right. But Mooney's gone no, now. No, I've never confirmed. He died. Right. He died in 2021, and I'm wondering if you right. you now want to confirm that it was Mooney who abused you, or would you rather just continue to not name the person? Well, what I would say on this, and you can kind of like gauge how you want on this, but I know generally when people speak up about someone who has passed and talk about what they've done, especially someone as popular as Paul Mooney that person who is the abuser is attacked because they say that that person can no longer defend themselves. Why didn't you say something while this person was around? Um, so in to avoid retribution because of that, that's why I haven't, I haven't said anything even after he passed away. Um, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, you know, <laughs> You know, I think at the time when it all came out, when it, it it just like floored me and it was something like, you know, people were like forcing me to say something and that even made it harder for me to say something because of that. I was even, his sons were even like, his uh, twin boys were even like edging me on, you know. Well, and that's got to be. you got to say something. That has to be part of your pressure here is the fact that he has kids and I'm sure you don't want to hurt them. And it's exactly, it's a really terrible position for you to be in. Were you, were you pissed off at Rashan Khan for coming forward and, and naming? Yes, this I person? was. And I, I, I did say, why didn't you say, because, because I was, I was blindsided totally. You know, someone sent me, I remember him finally reaching out to me and I said, you know, why didn't you tell me and everything you need to tell me? He said, I do apologize for that. He said, but people need to pay for the things that they've done in, in, in life. You know, what do you and think his actual motive place to tell? Sorry. What do you think his actual I motivation think was? Motiv- uh, success being relevant you know, he had, uh, you know, I guess supposedly a book coming out and all this stuff wants to do a book. And, you know, he felt a need to, uh, you know, air someone else's dirty laundry. Right. How I old, mean, how old were you? Wasn't how old were you when the abuse happened? I, well, I was first abused when I was really young, you know, like from five up, you know, that I remember and, you know, during my teen years. And I've always said the abuse has always been there, one person or another. You know, I didn't realize until I was really writing my book that I was like talking about guys, and, and then I was thinking about my age. I was like, I wasn't even a, 
19 years old, 18 years old. I was younger than that. And guys were messing with me. Right. And then I realized, oh, my God. And when you're young like that, you don't see it. You don't see that it can't be consensual because you don't you're not of age. You can't consent to that, even though you, it might be something you wanted to do at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think you're amazing to talk about all this stuff and to write about it. And I think, you know, whenever people go public about childhood trauma or any trauma, I think it saves people's lives who are out there and who are afraid to tell their stories. Yeah, because I think a lot of times people think they're the only ones that have gone through something. And if I could have any type of leeway from someone, you know, committing suicide or drinking themselves to death or anything of that nature, even if it's one person, that you know, I'm doing what I need to be doing because I know what it's like, you know. I know what it's like to be abused. I know what it's like to be manipulated. I know what it's like to be hurt and targeted and all those things. Absolutely. Well, we're going to uh, lighten things up. We have just about five minutes left, and we're going to lighten things up with our favorite game, Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Ask Me No Questions. Yeah. These are just some lightning round questions to fire at you, and they'll be easy to answer, I promise. Uh, what's your favorite Richard Pryor bit? Uh, the uh, Mudbone, of course. Your favorite Richard Pryor movie? Which way is up? Oh, I don't know that one. Do you know which way is up, Tark? Mm-hmm. My favorite... Yeah, you can't see it on TV. You can't see it on TV. You have to watch the actual video of it because they cut too much out of it. Um, but he he played three characters in it. My favorite is uh, Silver Streak with Gene Wilder. That is really cool. Oh, okay, yeah. I love that movie. Uh, you worked as a production assistant on the movie The Color Purple. Who was more fun to hang with, Whoopi or Oprah? Whoopi. Why? Because she was genuine, lighthearted. She was fun. She was normal. You know, I look at how people change even over the years. She's never changed. She's always been the same. And Oprah was not those things? Is that what I'm getting from you? She was, well, yeah, Oprah was, yeah, she was, I mean, she was nice on set, but you, you could see the, the change over the years. And that's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> that was also her first movie her first acting job ever yeah, so she was probably first, scared yeah, shitless yeah. um yeah you a lot of my listeners were saying that they knew you uh from your drag days what was your uh, drag performer name rainy mcknight what's the first name rainy rainy which is funny like cause... rainy like right like like rainy night and rainy mcknight yeah. rainy, but you have a sister named rain was that an homage to her yeah Oh, I love no, that. No, it had nothing to do with her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, if you follow RuPaul's Drag Race, who's your favorite uh, Ru queen? Well, not so much a queen. I have a friend who was on there, um, Jade, who was like the first or second season, who was a good friend of mine, like David Santamire. Uh, so that was my favorite all-time performer i haven't seen rupaul's drag race in the last few seasons to me is because it's like very repetitive i'm like you know i'm not the hugest fan of rupaul either so oh any particular i love reason? the show um i just i don't know i i, I don't want to say someone I, I don't like arrogance mm. you know and when you 
or in your sitting, you deal with a lot of people who have come across them and know them, and you know you hear the stories and things of that nature. I know it's it's a thing not not just by what other people say, but when you hear from like out of thirty people, twenty eight people have something negative to say, I tend to believe it. So what I take from this interview is that Oprah Winfrey and RuPaul are both on Richard Pryor Jr.'s shit list. <laughs> They're on my shit list, and I have one other a, a comment. Uh, Sherry Shepard, who's on my list big time. Ooh, um, she's always she's always counting how she knows she loved my dad and all this kind of stuff. And I had a chance to meet her. I went to the first taping of uh, Whoopi on The View, and then uh, Wendy Williams' fiftieth birthday party. I went the VIP area, and I went and you know reintroduced myself, just talking. Hey, you know Sherry, I'm Richard Pryor Jr. You know we met. She turned and looked at me like from my down and looked to me like I was a piece of shit on the bottom of her shit. Oh, no. We're going to have to leave it there, Richard. I thank you so much for sharing <laughs> this with us. You're an amazing. You. The book is called In a Prior Life. How can people follow you online? People follow me on the official Richard Pryor Jr. on my Instagram and Twitter, on my Facebook, the Richard Pryor fan page. Um, anywhere on social media, I'm there, Richard Pryor Jr. Thank you so much. Keep getting healthier and uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you so much for having me. Tarek and JB, plug yourselves. Tarek. Uh, uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Tarek78, T-A-R-I-K-78. You can follow me only on Instagram at SoundCanarchy12. Thank you so much. Thank you both so much. We're back with next week with documentary director Brian Thomas. Uh, follow me, me, on Twitter and Insta at Adam Sank and on TikTok at Adam Sank Official. Don't forget to order your ass merch at AdamSank.com. Bye. Have a great week, bitches. Bye. Thank you for having me.